With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. This is The Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk TNT Radio. I've got some news coming up shortly about another offshore wind farm that has collapsed before it's even been built. And I was tracing this in the back part of 2023 and whether it was in the Scandinavian shoreline or on the east coast of Australia or along the east coast of the United States, Time and time again, the evangelistic kind of plans and projects in place for offshore wind farms don't live up to the promises, don't live up to the practicality, the logistics, the hazards that are involved in setting up such a major project. It's all very well saying, look what we're going to do. We're going to supply you free, nothing is free, free power. Well, sorry, did you think about what impact you might have on, let's say, sea animals, maybe bird life? These are the things that have come to the fore after the projects have been announced. Uh, on top of that, we've had various problems associated with radar signals, emergency signals through the Navy, the Air Force and the Army. This has been an impediment for some of the projects. Uh, and then local people saying, we don't want it. No, it's fine. We've got a coal-fired power station. We have reliable power. Let us be. And so the evangelism just doesn't live up to the practicalities. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that. The other story, which, of course, broke about 48 hours ago, which I'm pleased to see because it was uh, a case of common sense coming to the fore, is that Harvard University President Claudine Gay was forced to resign amid plagiarism accusations, which we spoke about on this program just before we clocked off for the year, and criticism over testimony at a congressional hearing. And we know what got her in strife at the congressional hearing after a whole heap of anti-Semitic instances being verified in congressional hearings. All she would say in response to that, well, she wouldn't criticise it. All she said, it depends on the context. The word context was the thing that buried Claudine Gay. And she's finally fallen on her sword. Not to mention um, the issues associated with plagiarism, which, of course, were exposed soon after that congressional hearing. I want to go to our talkback lines now. If you'd like to comment on that or anything else, set the agenda, if you please. From the United States or Canada, the number's 1-888-201-6425. From the UK, 033-0024-1026. And from Australia or New Zealand, step right up, 1-800-670-310. Siv is on our talkback line. Siv, Happy New Year to you, sir. You too. Uh, look, yeah, that story about the uh, Harvard University professor Claudine Gay resigning uh, because of plagiarism and all the rest and had her absolute inaction over the anti-Semitic rantings and protests that uh, some of the students over there at that college got involved in. I, I don't know about you, Chris, and I don't know whether we see this. I think we do see it in Australia where people, if they get in trouble, oh, you know, they got rid of me because I was black. Oh, they got mm. rid of me because I'm female. No, Claudine, 
they got rid of you because of because of the plagiarism stuff that came out and the inaction you took uh, when it came to the when it came to the anti-Semitic stuff going on in your college. Not because you were black or female, but of course, whenever you get the victim stuff, you know we're supposed to sort of go, oh, okay, we're sorry you got sacked because you you're a victim. I mean, I think I, I find that just tiresome, frankly, and old and stale. What do you make of it? No, oh, exactly. It is old and stale. And as someone who has done, uh, had his own dramas in life, look, the best course of action is to fess up to what you have done, what you could have yes. done better, and just be honest with people. Because at the end of the day, um, you're just telling more lies associated with your with your actions and your misbehaviour. Why do you want to make it even more complex and, and troubling for yourself, for your family, just fess up and do something about it. it. Yeah, well, I didn't do what I should have done. I didn't, I, I, you know, what's the other trendy thing? I misspoke at that hearing. They all do that, Mm. don't they, whenever they get into Mm. trouble. I I misspoke or some kind of, you know, corporate rubbish. But at least- Or they say, I apologise. I'm very sorry for if I've offended anyone. If I've offended, that's the other one. That's the other classic, yes. Yes, well, you have offended a few people, Claudine. I wish you'd acknowledge that, but you probably won't, and much of the left never does, because, hey, they're never the ones that are responsible for anything. They're never the ones who have to live with any consequence <laughs> for anything. They're never the ones who actually admit that their ideology fails in a heap and is rooted in communism, Marxism and socialism. Good to talk to you, Chris. Well stated. Good on you, Siv. Told like a true champion. Much appreciated. Thank you very much for your call. This is today's News Talk TNT. Russia. Gas prices. COVID mandates. It just doesn't seem like anybody's doing anything about it. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Well, the leader of Hezbollah, Hassan Nasrallah, says the killing of Hamas's powerful deputy leader by Israel will not go unpunished. Saleh al-Aruri died in a drone attack in Beirut on Tuesday, as we all know. Israel has not confirmed it was responsible, but it's quite obvious the attacks against Hamas have begun outside of Gaza. Uh, Mr. Nasrallah described Aruri's death as a major dangerous crime about which we cannot be silent. Well, I would concur that it was a major crime, but it pales into insignificance with what occurred on October 7. He added that if Israel wages war on Lebanon, there will be no ceilings, no rules to Hezbollah's response. Well, to discuss this and more, I'm joined now by the very politically incorrect Australian news commentator, Jim Ball, which is why we love him. Jim had his media name hosting nighttime radio programs on two monoliths in the world of commercial talk back down under, 2UE and 2GB. He joins us now from Sydney. Jim Ball, welcome to TNT for the first time in 2024. I was was about to say, Chris, yeah, great to see you uh, for another year. Maybe we'll see how we go. (laughs) I I think, uh, as I said, uh, there's so much around, Chris. 2023, I buttoned off in 2023 saying, I have a feeling 2024 will be the biggest news year for decades. Definitely. Uh, The US election on its own. And you've got China and Taiwan. You've got the Middle East uh, and God knows whatever else. And that's just on, what, January 3. Yes. <laughs> we All don't right. know. Hezbollah's leader spoke today and he's saying, oh, there'll be revenge. There'll be no ceilings on mm. revenge for killing the Hamas leader. 
Um, I cannot see anything too monumental occurring, but they will do their usual terror attacks in their own special way, won't mm. they? Look, the, the Arab world, and I've been following this for the best part of 40 years, they're very big on the saber rattling and talking about bloodletting and martyrs and all that kind of stuff. This is pure and simple saber rattling, I think. Could be wrong, but I think it's uh, saber rattling. But given the, the scorched earth, the, the glass car park that is now, uh, uh, now Gaza, I think, and my advice to Hezbollah and the Prime Minister of Lebanon would be to take a few moments, contemplate, channel, Clint Eastwood, Dirty Harry, do you feel lucky, punk, mm. right? Because although Hezbollah is uh, better organised and kitted up than Hamas, uh, Israel is better kitted up and organised than Hezbollah. Mm. And I think if Hezbollah tries anything of a dramatic nature, I reckon Israel might just go full Moab. Mm. That's mother of all bomb type mm. uh, weapons. Just to settle it once with one monster bomb, don't do that again. That's it, I could be wrong, but I mean, that's if I was Israel, that's what I would do. Well, we had those two me. bombs that exploded minutes apart at the commemoration for the Iranian general slain in the United States drone strike in 2020. It mm. killed at least 188 people and wounded more than 140 others. Uh, there's no love loss here. And I, I get the feeling this is win at all costs from both sides. I don't see. I don't see how uh, the the Hamas or Hezbollah can win this. I mean, if push comes to shove, Israel has got the nuke, and I don't think they'll hesitate. And I think we'll see it this year. Or not the nuke. No, no, I don't mean that. But I mean they've got it if they needed it. This is for them. This is existential. They can't afford to lose. This is it. This is a. They lose a lot if they lose this. But I think they'll they'll turn their attention to Iran and simply take out their nuclear facilities mm. and some very strategic targets. And um, I just think that, uh, look what happened uh, um, under Trump, they took out Soleimani. Now there's been no retribution. I've got my own theories of what may happen this year vis-a-vis -vis Trump and, and Iran, and we're talking extrajudicial stuff. And I wouldn't be surprised if the blame goes, oh, that, that was an Iranian rogue. That did that that was spirited in by the cia or the on one of their black flights and spirited out of the country again hang on hang on let's let's stop you there you think that the next attack against trump will be a homegrown attack mm. allegedly or used to it'll be used to take out trump so a, a, an assassination attempt yep. but blamed on iran yep yep this is what tucker carlson has been saying this week has he yeah. Oh, I've, I formulated this theory. I put it on my Facebook uh, weeks and weeks ago that this was my theory of what I thought may, may happen. Right. Is that, um, and look, there's, there's these people on American television, talking heads on CNN and others, really never Trumpers and Democrat talking heads just blustering and bloviating. And they're basically saying he's got to be taken out. He's got mm. to be taken out. Mm. You know, he just, one of them actually says only a bullet will fix it. That one of them's actually said that on national television in America, so that's where we're at. And I, I just think that maybe back to Iran. I just think they Trump took out Soleimani. They've done nothing about that since. I suspect that they may use this 
as their. I just don't think they're going to allow Trump under any circumstances to get his feet under the resolute desk. Mm. They can't do it legally. They can't do it uh, via the uh, taking him off the ballot, which I doubt if they can. They'll try anything. These people are desperate, and yeah. desperate people, snarling dogs, tend to bite. We've had some documents released related to the Jeffrey Epstein era. Um, this is not a client list, although a lot of mainstream media has been saying we're about to get the client list. These are 180 documents, as I understand it, which reveal, among many other things, that Bill Clinton, this is third-hand information, Bill Clinton preferred younger yep. girls. Yeah. Um, and there are other names being mentioned as clients, et cetera. It doesn't tell us much more than what we already know. It's a bit of a no, beat up. It, um, yeah. Why can't we see the client list? Well, uh, there is a list, and I've just been looking on Twitter before coming on air. There is a list of about 177. Most of them, as, as I suspected, uh, we wouldn't even know who they were. Right. We know the Clintons. Uh, we know the Bill Gateses. We know uh, Prince Andrew and one or two others. Uh, Alan Dershowitz supposedly yeah. whether it w went there, whether anything happened with girls, I he says not, and I tend to think it wouldn't with him. Uh, who was the other one? There was another um, major player. Oh, Stephen Hawking, mm -hmm. another guy in the yeah. world. Him, he's been there as well. Mm. Now, all the other names mean absolutely nothing. Now. There's been an attempt to weave Trump's name into this, and yes, Trump was on a flight twice. Twice, um, the Epstein had two or three planes. One was the Lita, Lolita Express that took the clients to the island St James. I think it's called St James Island, little mm. little St James Island. Um, but the other one was purely for business, domestic, flying around domestically in America. Trump went on that flight, and. Along with him was his wife and his seven-month-old Tiffany baby and the nanny. That was the sum total of uh, Trump's flights, two of them, on uh, on Epstein's planes. So, But they'll try and weave Trump into it, you know. Oh, of course they will. Yeah, you watch. Just watch yeah. it. I, I want to raise something that you commented about on social media this week. Boxing's highest national governing body in the U.S. has added a transgender athletes policy to its rule book now they've actually said if you sum it up and look at what they've done the transgender men or biological women are now in um, there are qualifications surrounding genital reassignment surgery and some stringent hormone testing before competition when will these numbskulls understand that sex is binary jim well these people are mad crazy lunatic ideologues chris um the thing about this and what's different about this is that most of the sports so far have been uh, swimming, you're in your own lane, cycling, running, you're in your own lanes as it were, you're independent. Boxing is full body contact. Um, and so, look, let's get, get it straight. This is about inflicting violence on women. This is yeah. domestic violence as a sport. Mm. Okay, take out the word domestic, but it's violence against women as a sport. Mm. And let me just, I may have mentioned this some while ago. If you are super thin, we call you anorexic and it's a mental illness. But if you think you're a woman, we celebrate it and think it's terrific and it's not a mental illness. Mm. And the other thing about this is if you, 
if you can explain, if you're a transgender person, please explain the male pattern baldness, right? That's a dead giveaway that you're not a woman. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but look, here's something else. I just wrote this yeah. the other day, uh, thinking about all of this over Christmas, and I got thinking about the fine cotton ring-in. Yeah. And you think, well, Jim, what, what the hell does fine what the hell does fine cotton have to do with transgender? Well, everything and nothing really. But let me just run you through this, and I'll just read what I've written. We often read and hear about mediocre men who think they're women burning up the pool or the track and beating biological women in their chosen sport. But when did you last hear about or read about the opposite? Yeah, you know, the women beating men. You'd never hear about it. About women who think they're men burning up the pool or the track and beating men in their chosen sport. It doesn't happen, and for good reason. Now, the conclusion is that uh, uh, the, that simple thought experiment is that no matter the, the wiring of the brain, what you think, biology and chromosomes do matter. Mm. Now, back to fine cotton, and this is my point. Um, switching fine cotton uh, out for the faster, bold, bold personality complete with a lick of paint on the fetlocks doesn't make you any more bold personality than deciding on a whim that you're a woman and right? <laughs> and similarly trying to cheat and steal your way to victory. A male mediocrity, a, a total all-saran male athlete can only win by doing a fine cotton and cheating by pretending he's something he's not. Yeah. Th that's it. Yeah. So in horse racing, that's a crime. And in the case of fine cotton, I think three people went to jail. Yeah, true. Right. So, and that's about defrauding the book, the bookmakers and the punters alike. And what I still can't get my head around, Chris, is that governments and sporting authorities like boxing and much of the corporate world and the media with a straight face believe in this ideology. Yeah. But just think of it in terms of fine cotton and the ring in and pretending you're something you're not and getting away or trying to get away with it. But Man. there is something else just before coming on air. Uh, it was a, a tweet I got. From it was to do with uh, oh here it is here it is on my phone. It was to do with uh, a U UN Women's Names transgender man as the new ambassador for women. This is in the day what UN the UN Women uh, UN Women. It's a group, obviously United Nations Women. They name a transgender man as the new ambassador for women. Munro Bergdorf, born male, previously branded as. Uh, all white people racist and labelled the suffragette women's uh, movement as white supremacy. He's a 36-year-old and he's been named UK champion for the UN women's despite being born a man. Mm. Uh, there's more, but you get the general idea, right? Uh, <laughs> world has gone nuts. I've got to take it? a quick break, Jim, yeah. if I all may. Right. I'll come back and we'll talk um, things Australian right after the break on TNT. TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. 13 Israeli hostages released uh, as part of that ceasefire deal uh, 49 days after they were taken hostage. 49 days. So that still leaves about 225 to 227 more hostages. Uh, I'm with John Bolton, the former national security advisor to Donald Trump. I'm with Britt Hume of, uh, of Fox News. I'm with a bunch of other people who say this gives Hamas too much time to do whatever they want to do, to do whatever they need to do, to regroup, to rearm, to re-strategize. And as much as you want the hostages back, it can't be at the expense of the other part of the mission, 
which is to destroy Hamas. So I think it's a mistake. Steve Malzberg on TNT Radio. Affordable housing, we can build that. Sustainable housing, we can build that. At MIT Modular, we understand the importance of housing for all and the importance of design, cost, and functionality. Our goal is to meet the needs of our growing population by converting shipping containers to livable units. If you're like-minded and in a position to invest in something meaningful and life-changing, we want to hear from you. We are a team of professional architects, engineers, and financial and tax experts dedicated to offering unique solutions that provide a brighter future. Our Opportunity Zone Fund offers investors both real estate and operating business diversification, five-year tax deferral on capital gains, annual tax benefits, and ultimately tax-free appreciation potential. There are Opportunity Zones all over America. If you're interested in learning more about our services, need affordable housing, or want to participate in creating a new vision for tomorrow, give us a call in the U.S. on 385-985-5702 or read more at MITModular.com. MIT Modular. We can build that. It sounds pretty good. It's it sounds like, real, it's dude. not bad, huh? This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hey, good to have your company. If you are only listening to us now, you can also watch us. All you got to do is have a look at our app or our website or any of the vision streaming platforms like X and Facebook and Rumble and YouTube, and you'll find us there. Just look for TNT Radio, and you'll be able to find us on those formats and look at our um, uh, yeah, <laughs> now, Jim Jim Ball, I want to talk about something that we raised at the beginning of this hour, thanks to our caller, Siv, who phoned in, about the president of Harvard falling on her sword, Claudine Gay, mm. because, you know, she said in those congressional hearings that, um, you know, she didn't want to condemn those who were anti-Semitic on campus. She thought it was uh, dependent on context. Um, that was the start of her demise. But I think the start of her demise started a long, lot longer, earlier, when she well, started plagiarising, Jim. Yeah, I think it goes way back to about 1997. In Even in her dissertation, her doctorate thing, uh, PhD dissertation, uh, she, in her, her uh, acknowledgements of, you know, the people who've helped her, you know, at the very back, like in a book, um, even that, not the names, but the actual wording of the phraseology and the sentences, even that uh, was uh, was plagiarised. But look, this is all this is this DEI business: diversity, equity, and inclusion, and inclusion. Yep. which I refer to as division, exclusion, and indoctrination, which <laughs> yes. is what it is. Yep, and I must say, it's a beautiful thing to watch the entire Potemkin village edifice come tumbling down. Mm. Uh, these people. Uh, they're caught up, they're, they're hoist on their own petard, as Mr. Mm. Shakespeare would have once said, and they've been exposed as, well, total frauds and intellectual bankrupts. And people are, are starting to see the, the very dark underbelly of what this is all about. It's basically, it's uh, cultural Marxism with a fancy name, a, 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 an acronym, a fancy name. And um, Harvard and other universities are... They're uh, finding out that with the implementation of this, and it is toxic, there's toxic uh, doctrine in government, the boardrooms and the entertainment business like Disney and Bud Light and all that kind of thing. They're finding out that um, people are reacting badly to it, that people actually subscribe 
to the Martin Luther King uh, maxim of we judge people on the context of their character, not the color of their skin. Mm. They're turning all of that on its head. And it's interesting, they talk about it in terms, or she's now saying, oh, I was dismissed or I had to resign because of racism. Well, hang on a second. DEI, you were actually hired on the color of your skin. Mm. That's racism. That is. You sat in Congress and wouldn't condemn uh, the racist behavior of on campus of uh, wanting for the elimination of Israel and hom- and genocide of the Jews. That's racist. Mm. But this is what they do. They always accuse you. This is psychological proje- projection. They always accuse you of what they are doing. Mm. That's the that's always been uh, been the, they you see in America particularly uh, the Democrats they talk about defending our democracy while they're destroying it. Um, they accused Trump of Russian collusion when all along it was Hillary Clinton that was colluding with Russia. But mm. that's the way that's the way they operate. Now, there's 50 um, examples of her plagiarism that have been found so far. That is almost 50% of her work over her entire Incredible. entire year. And so they've resorted to the racism uh, badge. But when will the left understand that it's lost all currency? Yes. It has no clout anymore. No. They've totally gutted the word of all meaning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a great it, – it, and, it and is quick, a shake-up at Harvard that Harvard needed, though, Jim. Oh, absolutely. But the, the, uh, the other thing is, um, what would they say if it was a white president that had plagiarised? They couldn't run the race card. Mm. Not only that, what happens next time – if she were to stick around – and I don't think she thought it through, or the board, if she were to stick around and a student six months down the road is pinged for plagiarism, well, he'd just say, well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. But then there's the president. That's what she did. You're right about cultural Marxism. You're exactly right. That is yeah. the descriptor. Yeah. I, I've got to take a quick break for news sure. just for 30 seconds. I'll come sure. back. A couple of quick things I want to put to you. But before we do that, let's get some news on TNT. TNT Radio News. Are you ready for some awesome news? Yes. One, two, three, four. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. The first batch of sealed court documents containing the names of dozens of people linked to deceased pedophile Jeffrey Epstein have been made public. The Israeli Defence Force is being sued over its actions during Hamas's October 7 attack on the Supernova Music Festival. And Russia and Ukraine have carried out a major prisoner swap, with each side releasing more than 200 captives, the exchange made possible by the United Arab Emirates. We're the pinup boys and poster girls for free speech. We just don't look as impressive as Vladimir Putin shirtless on a horse. Yeah. 24 7, 365. We never stop sifting fact from fiction, misinformation from the truth. From government overreach to the latest on mandates, big tech censorship to propaganda gone mad. Listen to TNT Radio and get the news and views direct from our expert presenters and commentators anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk this is TNT Radio. You know, Jim Ball, I've been watching some of the comments coming out of the mouths of these local imams in Australia, and some of these people need to be rounded up and questioned extensively about whether they really want to stay in this country or whether they want to create a scene. Um, The latest one is starting to link. Would you believe 
Bluey, mm. one of the most popular Australian cartoon series in America at the moment, starting to link Bluey and something that was said in uh, an offhanded way in one of their episodes with genocide. This is what this imam thinks. I, I want to play you just a short thing. It sure. doesn't doesn't reveal too much, but have, mm. a, have, have a listen to this. Just keep your eye on the ball and take care of your little sister for me. Love, Dad. So it's a game of cricket, yep. um, and they're treating it like a war, apparently, because, you know, when you play cricket, it can be nation versus nation. But it's been construed to be um, some kind of green light to genocide. These people need their heads red, don't they? Well, it, it, just going back to the word racism, that's been totally gutted of all meaning. And now genocide, it's uh, linking genocide to something like this not only uh, gets people's backs up, but it, it also demeans real genocide. Mm. I've actually watched Bluey. I saw it before Christmas uh, with my grandkids and because I'd heard about it and I thought, I want to see this. And yeah. it's a good, it's a great little thing for right. kids to learn about the, uh, the uh, lessons for life uh, taught through the lens of cricket. That's what mm. it's about. Mm. But because... The kids are playing cricket and the father's away at the war and he's writing letters home to the kids and somewhere off screen there's the murder or there's the killing of, of Arabs. This is all this, this poet who I've never heard of. I can't even remember. can't even see his name there. But, um, yeah, he, he's decided. He's taken it all very personally and they do this. They tend to, and I don't mean Muslims necessarily, but... Uh, people, they weave things in and see things that aren't there. Yeah. And if they're not there, they make them up. Yeah. That's what's happened on in, on this occasion. Uh, the idea is to iconoclastically take something like Bluey or some other national event or national feature and try and dirty it up. And, and by dirtying it up, it, it's an attempt to dirty it up in people's minds. Yeah. yeah Captain, you watch it come up in the next few weeks with Australia Day. Yeah. They'll try yeah. and dirty up Captain Cook. Yeah, Same we're, thing. About, we're about to get to that uh, to that debate again. again. Every year. Uh, and look, in terms of this imam, this imam has a right to free speech. He can say what he wants, especially in a country like Australia. He should be so lucky. Yeah. Um, but, he's, but he's able, therefore, to be smashed up and pelted by people like you and I for what he says because it was outrageous. Now, I want to talk about asylum seekers arriving by plane. We always knew that this was the the bigger gateway for illegal entrance into Australia, at least. The number of asylum seekers arriving by plane has doubled since yep. Anthony Albanese came to power with his Labor government. Most are heading to Sydney, we hear. In the four months from August to November, more than 2,000 asylum claims were made each month, which is a new record high, and most of them did not come from war-torn nations. Once again, Labor government gets in. Yep. They're hopeless when it comes to those detainees. They show how slack they are, and it just opens the sluice gates for others to bung it on, and that's exactly what's happening. Look, can you imagine what it would be like if we shared a land border with New Guinea, for example? or another nation. Fortunately, we're like America, they've got the border with Mexico, it's wide open. Can you imagine with a left-wing government what would happen if we shared a land border oh. with another country like, well, New Guinea's the closest, but just think about that. Um, and, of course, now what they're doing, as you say, they're, they're flying in 2,000 a month, 
And I'm sorry, but if you want to claim, and they so they come in legally, but then put their hand up and say, oh, I'm seeking asylum. Sorry, back of the queue for you, lady or bloke, whichever, because they came here on false pretenses. Simple. Correct. Absolutely false on the first pretenses. Plane back. But I wonder whether this government, the government that's in power at the moment in Australia, has the gumption or even the intelligence, Jim, to work out how to stop it. Well, look, Chris, they're looking down the barrel in 18 months of defeat. I don't think even getting rid of um, getting rid of uh, uh, Albo can save them. But uh, you look at everything. They're on the, the wrong side of history on everything from the voice to yeah. energy to uh, the economy. Cost of living. Cost of living. All of that. It. Inflation, so on and so forth. Yeah. And whatever the right side of history, they're not on it. And I, yeah. I just think that they're, uh, they're looking down the barrel. They're making the Whitlam government look... Uh, Rather good. Yeah, they are. Absolutely. I've got to leave it there, Jim. Yeah, Fabulous sure. to kick off. Uh, thank you for kicking us off That's in okay. 2024. I do appreciate that. It's great to hear from you and great to get your views always. Thank, thanks, Chris. Good on you, mate. Thank you. Jim Ball, um, the former star of 2UE and 2GB at night. And it's uh, always good to get him back into action and have his say on the biggest issues in the world today. All right. I want to talk about conservatism. I want to talk about what 2024 has in store for conservative parties around the world. Now, it's a bit of a mixed bag. You might call um, what's about to occur as a licorice all sorts. You've got the UK Tories facing annihilation in 2024, short of a miracle. You've got US Republicans fancying their chances in November, and the latest polls to begin 2024 has shown a strong support for the Republicans and Trump. In New Zealand, they're just about to see what the new Conservative government has in store. And in Australia, I think there's an optimistic view that the coalition will be ahead of the Labor government, at least in terms of polling by the middle of the year, maybe even a tad earlier, which is an enormous resurrection for a party that was smashed at the last federal poll. So to get across this global political territory, I'm joined now by Vern Hughes, a director at Civil Society Australia and Social Enterprise Partnerships. Now, Vern publishes and edits the conservative newsletter, and he's based in Melbourne. I'll get to Vern in just a second because his connection to us has just fallen out as I mentioned his name. I don't know whether that's a gremlin that does things intentionally, but we'll get to Vern in just a short moment. Uh, meanwhile, I want to just give you some a little bit more information about this prisoner exchange that has occurred between Russia and Ukraine. And let me repeat what I said before. If you can exchange prisoners and have connections at the very top to do such a thing, why can't you sit down at a table and organise a negotiated peace? I don't get it. Let's get back to Vern Hughes right now. Vern, welcome to TNT for the first time in 2024. G'day, Chris. Good to be with you. How did you spend your break? Did you get some time off? Quite a bit of swimming. Uh, oh, good. Uh, we've just lost you again. I'm there. Yep. Uh, you've, I've, we've got you back. We've got you back. We've got yep. a problem with your line. I want to talk about the UK first. What, what, what do you see playing out here? The polls are suggesting in the UK that Rishi Sunak is facing an annihilation. He's doing his very best to repaint the Tories. Um, Sir Keir Starmer seems to be sitting in the background, not playing an aggressive game because he doesn't have to at this stage. 
What will be the outcome in 2024, do you think, and why? Look, I think it's the same uh, pretty much in every Western country at the moment. That is, every government is really doing it tough. Um, there's a lot of things they can't control, and they're all pretty much facing defeat. Um, so I think I think it is odds on that uh, the Conservative government will be defeated. Um, Keir Starmer will come in, but I think a lot of Britons will look at that and they're thinking about it, and a lot of them, I don't think, will be too alarmed at, at Labor changing very much. Their main concern will be, look, we can change governments, but will anything change on the important questions? And I think that's where... That's what people are mainly worried about. How do we actually fix some of the the big problems that we're all facing? But we can change the government, but will it actually make any difference? Yeah. You doubt under Keir Starmer whether Labor will be much different to Rishi Sunak because um, you look at the previous incarnation of Labor, they were very, very left-wing. This bloke isn't. No. And he's shown on on some of the, the issues that will trick him up, like um, asylum seekers, um, immigration. He's he's already sounding pretty tough on the. He's certainly very different from previous Labor governments. Yes, he um, is. On the Middle East, he's very pro-Israel. He sounds very different from previous Labor governments. So I think he's going to present himself as a pretty conservative Labor would-be prime minister, and that'll probably carry him through. Okay, what about Republicans in the United States in 2024? They seem to be rather buoyant at the moment. The polls seem to be supporting that buoyancy. Whether it's Donald Trump or whether it's someone else, they would have to be favourite at this stage, wouldn't they? Absolutely, and for the same reasons. Um, The cost of everything is going up. There are big energy worries in every country. And any incumbent government is going to is going to be facing a bit of a revolt from 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 voters. I think the Democrats know that's coming. Um, the question is, with, will people balk at Donald Trump, or will they give him another chance, regardless of what he of the things they may or may not have liked last time around? And the odds are, I think, that most people will say, we need to shake up things, and we may not like Donald Trump in every in a lot of ways, or even in any way. But I think a lot of, a lot of ordinary people in the US will probably give him another, another chance simply because something has to change. Yeah. Uh, there's a feeling in the United States that it's time for a major broom. And you're only going to get a major broom through a country like the US if you put the other mob in. Whether it's Trump or not, I think this is the predominant feeling, the predominant um, sentiment in the United States at the moment. We need a clean out. Oh, look, it's it, it, there's no doubt about that. And it's the same, I think, in Europe. This, this coming here, in Europe, in France, and in the middle of there are big European Parliament elections. And in every country, the trend over the last year has been that the incumbent governments are just being thrown out. Um, and the oppositions may not be all that well equipped to govern, but they're being put in anyway um, because people realise everything needs to be shaken up. Um, the problem is some of the opposition contenders are not that... They don't have that many solutions. They might be worth a go here and there, but some of them will do very well, and it may well be that 
that the Republicans will will get in in the United States. And the, and the question then is, um, how radical will Donald Trump be in shaking yeah. things up? And no one really knows. Um, there's a wide range of views, I think, about how he might go this time. Yeah. We've got New Zealand. We've got a conservative government in New Zealand. So New Zealanders are very much looking forward to seeing how that government performs and what it can do um, to their to their lives. What about Australia? I get the feeling that once again, as you rightly point out, the incumbents are in trouble, but more so the Labor government in Australia, because it seems as if they have ignored completely what is hurting middle Australia, which is the cost of living. That's right. And I think there are some of these things that have been going on for years now. So if you look at, if you look at the, the debate about climate change and energy that we've had, and it's been going on for 20 years. Um, and despite all that, we're really no closer to having a sensible energy policy than at any time in the last 20 years. And I think there's a strong sense that the government really doesn't know what it's doing anymore in this area. Um, the opposition may not have a better idea either, but when, in an area like energy, the, the problems are just so big. There is just clearly... We're supposed to have a, a free enterprise uh, economy in, in most areas. In an area like energy, you would expect, well, OK, that should mean prices should come down occasionally, and then they'll go yeah. up at other times. But they never come down. Uh, then they're not going to come down anytime soon. So we don't have a proper energy market. And one of the core things that a government should do is ensure that we have a proper competitive energy market. And it doesn't matter whether you're for nuclear or fossil fuels or renewables. If it's a proper energy market, then all of them should be out there bidding for customers, offering what they can, and ultimately. Yeah, I've just lost you there, Vern. I understand what you're saying. Put them all in the market and may the best man or woman or woman win. This is what the public wants to see so that they can see that they don't run in a handicap race. We're running in a handicap race in Australia because we refuse to go for the cheaper options. That's right. And I, it, it, it's, it's, it's very straightforward on energy, isn't it? If you strip away the ideology... People ought to be able to choose what they think is going to be a reliable, inexpensive source of energy. And yeah. whether that comes from, from renewables or nuclear, it, you know, you might have a view about that. But ultimately, it's not something that governments should, should be determining. All governments should do is say, here's an energy market. It's open. It's transparent. Anyone can come in and offer something to the public if they, if they want to. And then we'll see who can deliver a good service. That's it. Yeah, well said. Government need to get the hell out of our lives and leave the market to sort it out. I want to take a quick break and come back and speak with you about two really good articles that you have published in The Conservative recently, uh, including the fact that Australia is a nation run by second-rate people. I couldn't agree more. We'll come back with Vern Hughes right after a break on TNT. When the world's endangered animals need help most, when their lives are at greatest risk, when they would otherwise be lost. The International Fund for Animal Welfare is there, taking action to rescue the animals we love, to protect them and their threatened natural habitats. But the danger to animals the world over is growing, and the need for your help 
has never been more urgent. On land, you'll help stop poachers from threatening and killing elephants and big cats for the illegal wildlife trade. In the oceans, you'll help rescue dolphins, whales, and seals from deadly hazards. And you'll help rescue, rehabilitate, and release vulnerable animals when disasters strike. Here at home and around the world, we can't do this work without you. See how you can help animals and people thrive together at joinifall.org. When a crisis hits, close to home and across the globe, nonprofits are on the front lines ready to serve. Healing, nurturing, rescuing, protecting, inspiring. The work of philanthropic organizations has never been more important. And it's donors and volunteers like you who make all this possible. Thank you, the Nonprofit Alliance. Thanks for listening and being a part of The Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I've got Vern Hughes with me. He is the editor and publisher of The Conservative in Australia. Now, you wrote recently that Australia is a nation run by second-rate people. What do you mean by that? Oh, well, this is a famous sentence that Donald Horn wrote in 1964 in his book, The Lucky Country. Mm-hmm. And it was his opening sentence. Australia is a lucky country, but is run by second-rate people who are carried along by their luck. And he meant that as a, as a bit of a criticism of our politicians and bureaucrats at the time. Um, but unfortunately, some people uh, didn't quite get the nuance there uh, or the irony that he was intending. So, yeah, he, I mean, he's... Donald Horne basically wanted to say way back in 1964, Australia is unbelievably gifted in, in the resources and the advantages that we have. And yet in spite of that, we haven't been able to make as much of that as we should have because we just haven't had the leadership um, that you could call off with straight leadership. And look, 60 years on, the problem is still there. We have got second-rate politicians. Um, they're not the top of the, of, the, of the class in any field. They're very much the second and third order teams. And yet, at state level, as well as at the federal level, these are the people we are expecting to make big decisions about the country's future, and we're finding that they're not up to it. Who in particular? I think it's a, I think it's a, it's a, it's a general problem that we have, and I think part of it goes to, part of it goes to the idea that, uh, that both major parties have clung on to for a long time now, that when you go into Parliament, it's a career. You're there for life, un- mm. unless you're un- unfortunate enough to get voted out. Now, I think that's, that's all quite wrong, really. What you want in Parliament is we want people who want to go there to contribute certain things. They might have a passion about agriculture, or they've got some ideas about aged care. And you want them to be able to contribute, make a difference, and after a while, when they've made a difference, they get out again. They go back to their, to their day job. But unfortunately, that doesn't really happen anymore. Once people are there, they stay there. And if you look at the people who are in the, the Albanese government, they're all people who are around during the Rudd, Gillard, Rudd governments. They had a go then. They stayed around through nine years of opposition. 
Now they're back again. They're the same people. They haven't got any new ideas. They're doing again what they had a go at doing 10 years ago. And they'll still be there in another 10 years. And so you've got to say, look, these are the wrong sort of people to be in our parliament. We just yeah. have to think about how we get a better class of people in there who are more suited to the job. Yeah, very true. One last one before you go. Um, you've often written about a 12-point fighting platform which might resurrect this country and resurrect conservative politics. What is your 12-point fighting platform? Well, I think we've, you know, I've just put together, I think, a number of quite specific ideas, not, not very dramatic and not, not very radical in some ways, but in, in other ways they are. For instance, I think we should require... Uh, members of parliament to have worked for 10 years in a real job. It should be part of the eligibility requirement. Wouldn't um, agree a, more. And by a real job, I don't, I don't mean working for a politician or being a staffer or being a union official. I nah. mean 10 years outside politics, outside yep. government altogether. Yep. Yep. And just, just writing that into the eligibility requirements for everyone who nominates to stand for parliament I think would actually eliminate probably about 60% of the people we've got at the moment, which yep. is incredible. Incredible when you think about it. I also okay, that's one. I'd, I'd concur, and I think 99.9% <laughs> of our audience would too. Another one I think is that we've got to do something about this problem of, of governments coming and going, but the bureaucrats stay there forever. Now, I think we need term limits for public servants. Again, um, if you want to be a public servant, that's great. Let's make it a 10-year max. Contribute what you can. But after 10 years of service, move on and let some other people come in. Um, I think we need a, a, t a turnover of people in there so that, once again, people are not there for life. Because I think it's, it's that mentality of being there for life that means... Those public servants think they own the place, they own the machinery of government, and they don't actually. It is the citizens who own that, and we've got to somehow make all that machinery of government serve the public, not the, not the incumbent bureaucrats. Yeah, So yeah. I don't know, that's, that's one way of coming at it. There might be other yeah. better ways, but I think we need ways of just introducing some limits in, in the extent of or the amount of time people can stay, ways in which we can get different people coming in, people who want to actually innovate, save money for the taxpayer, and then move on again. There's so much we can do in this area. And I, I, you know, we, we just have to start thinking in those terms, I think. Yeah, very, very true. Hey, it's great to have you on the program. Fantastic for you to uh, help us kick off 2024. And uh, we'll continue to look at the conservative and see what you're writing about. And uh, as you monitor what should be an incredible year in politics, Vern. It will be, I think. Thanks, Chris. Good on you. Vern Hughes, appreciate that. Vern Hughes who is a director at Civil Society Australia and Social Enterprise Partnerships. He publishes and edits the Conservative Newsletter, and he does that from Melbourne. And uh, if you'd like to subscribe to that newsletter, I would uh, uh, suggest that you do so very quickly because uh, a lot of people are on board and they watch what he writes about. And how good is it to hear someone say, hang on a minute, 
If you want to be a politician in my country, if you want me to elect you, you've got to make sure you've got some life experience. Because as we know, those that don't have life experience end up dictating what life uh, looks like for voters. How can that be? How can you have a politician running the health department when they've never worked in health? Or even worse, they haven't worked. They've only worked for a union or they've only worked for another politician. Doesn't sound right. It has never sounded right to me. And I think it's got to change. Maybe you've got a view on all of that. If you'd like to quickly jump in, I've got a couple of minutes before we get to the news. You can do so from the United States or Canada on 1-888-201-6425 from the UK, 0330024-1026. And from Australia or New Zealand, 1-800-670-310. I want to quickly tell you about this scrapped offshore uh, wind farm. I said I spoke about this at the start of the program. Two companies have agreed with the New York State Energy Research and Development Authority to terminate the offshore wind renewable energy certificate agreement for the 1,260 megawatt Empire Wind 2. Empire Wind 2 is no more. Equinor and BP said that the decision to terminate terminate Empire Wind 2 was due to commercial con- conditions driven by inflation, in other words, the state of the economy, interest rates and supply chain disruptions that prevented its existing ORIC agreement from being viable. Isn't it interesting? Despite all the subsidies in the world, despite all the government bias about green evangelism, that a company like this, BP included, mind you, this isn't a pauper. This is a multinational company that can't get an offshore wind farm going. And you know why? Because it simply doesn't make economic sense. The state's utility regulator, the New York Public Service Commission, refused to renegotiate Empire Wind's contracts at higher prices despite an appeal from Equinor and BP. However, the two companies are still very much at the table, as they called this cancellation a reset in their announcement. Never say never. And they say they are seeking new off-take opportunities. In other words, they're still there, hoping that the government rescues them, that maybe taxpayers' money in the form of billions and billions more subsidies can be thrown at them. That's what that's about. That's what that statement's about. We've still got our hand out waiting for taxpayers' money. They said that the already mature project might get a second life. Mature project, they haven't started building a single turbine. It may get a second life in some shape or form because there's support from the state to revive the faltering project. Does that not underline exactly what I've just said? There's support from the state. So we might be saved. There's support from the taxpayers. Is there? Do taxpayers want to throw money, good money after bad money on a project that's not going to be profitable and therefore they'll have to save again? No, they don't. They don't want to do that. But anyway, it's now being shelved, along with a dozen other major projects around the world featuring offshore wind farms. When will it ever click over that these are just silly evangelistic ideologues running our governments and they know nothing about business whatsoever. I think Vern Hughes is right. Put them in business before they become political. 
that might shake things up a little bit. I will leave you in the capable hands of Dean Macken. I am out of here. Hopefully we can get back together again at the same time tomorrow. Looking forward to that. This is Chris Smith on TNT. TNT.